Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and welcome to Healthy Aging, which is brought to you by South Coast Health. My guest today is Dr. Barbara Soares, MD, and we are talking today about menopause. Barbara Soares, MD, received her Doctor of Medicine degree from the Boston University School of Medicine and completed a residency in obstetrics and gynecology from the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. Dr. Soares is licensed to practice in both Massachusetts and Rhode Island. She is a member of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Massachusetts Medical Society, and the North American Menopause Society. She is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as an NAMS certified menopause practitioner. Her clinical interests include menopause management and hormone replacement therapy. She is also a certified menopause practitioner since 2017 through the Menopause Society. And her mission is to educate and empower women who are going through perimenopause and menopause. Welcome, Dr. Soares. Thank you so much for having me. Explain what menopause is. Sure. So there are some definitions that are important to get out of the way, and there are a lot of terms that are misinterpreted sometimes. So we'll start with menopause. The definition of menopause is when a woman has not bled for 12 months in a row, and that's called 12 months of amenorrhea. The average age in the United States is 52 and 95% of women go through menopause between the ages of 45 and 55. Prior to 45, it's early menopause if you go through uh, menopause from 40 to 45. After age 54, it's considered late menopause. Okay. What is perimenopause? So perimenopause is the time that leads up to menopause. And the average uh, number of years that a woman goes through perimenopause is four, um, but perimenopause can take up to 10 years. Mm. And are there signs and symptoms with perimenopause? Sure. So um, perimenopause is, you can think of it kind of uh, the opposite of puberty, Uh, So the ovarian function is diminishing instead of increasing, um, and the ovarian follicles are diminishing. And perimenopause, hallmark of perimenopause is irregular menstrual bleeding, emotional ups and downs, and uh, it's all due to hormones uh, fluctuating immensely, like a roller coaster, up one day and down Mm. the next the hallmark of menopause, and after 12 months of amenorrhea, you're in menopause or you're postmenopausal, and the hallmark of that is low hormone levels. Mm-hmm. It's really at that one day, 12 months, that's menopause, and then everything after that is called postmenopause or just being in menopause. Mm-hmm. How do you advise patients to handle the ups and downs and the moodiness that you described? Sure. So I'll just go into a little bit of the history, uh, you know, of menopause, if you don't mind. So for the past 60 years or so, hormone replacement therapy has been available, but there have been huge pendulum swings in the number of patients using hormone replacement therapy and then not using it for various reasons. For instance, 60 years ago, 
the doctors thought that Premarin should be given, estrogen should be given to most women. And unfortunately, estrogen alone caused some endometrial cancers. So at first, a lot of women were on hormone replacement in the 60s. And then because of endometrial cancer, the pendulum swung, and then nobody was on hormone replacement for a while. Then progesterone came in, which protected the uterus against cancer. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. a lot of women were back on hormone therapy. And then it was very publicized. The Women's Health Initiative study came out in 2002, and that suggested an increased risk of some diseases. And the pendulum swung again, where a lot of women were taken off hormone replacement therapy. The pendulum swinging back toward the middle again. So hormone replacement therapy is an accepted method of therapy for a patient that's a candidate for a certain age range. And certainly hormone replacement therapy is the most effective for menopausal symptoms. Um, But there are lots of non-pharmacological things that women can do to help them get through perimenopause as well as menopause. Now, when women go through menopause, does this cause bone loss? Sure. So peak bone density is about age 30 for women, and there is a decrease after age 30. When menopause hits and estrogen is lost, there is a rapid loss of bone density in women. And this is something that is not something that patients can feel. Uh, there are no symptoms, but their bones are more fragile. And if they fell, it, was, it would be easier to break a bone. So yes, there is bone loss that happens. Osteopenia can develop and eventually osteoporosis for some women. How can you help a patient either prevent that or if not prevent it, uh, work through the bone loss? Sure. So women, uh, you know, should be on some calcium and vitamin D and weight-bearing exercise, and that helps to keep the bones strong. And usually we start testing bone density testing, which is called a DEXA scan. The suggested age at starting a DEXA scan is age 65, but if women have risk factors, other risk factors other than being in menopause, such as smoking or family history of hip fractures, or they themselves have had fractures, then uh, the DEXA scans are ordered younger than age 65. And the DEXA scan helps us determine uh, what a woman's bones are doing, and if there is early pre-osteoporosis called osteopenia. That is something for us to know. And there are some things that we can suggest for women to do. And certainly if osteoporosis develops, there are certain medications that can be recommended for that. Mm -hmm. What about sexual problems? Can that happen during menopause? And if so, why? And how can we work with that? Sure. So, you know, one of the top conditions uh, of menopause is something called GSM, and that stands for genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And due to the loss of estrogen, all of the tissues that coat the vagina, including the urethra, which is attached to the bladder, the bladder, and the entire vagina, and the vulva, it's all affected by lack of estrogen. And so pain with intercourse is one of the most common things that we encounter. Vulvovaginal atrophy or thinning of the tissue down there is part of the syndrome of genitourinary syndrome. And there are things that we can suggest to help that. So pain with, with sexual intercourse is one of the top concerns in menopause, but there are some other sexual disorders that happen along with menopause. There are Mm -hmm. disorders in desire, arousal, and that kind of thing. And can the hormone therapy help with that? So it can 
If pain is an issue, certainly uh, replacing estrogen either systemically or in the vagina can certainly help with pain. So yes, hormones can help. And if, if for some reason a woman can't take hormones, then what are some other alternatives? Sure. So hormone therapy is a discussion that women need to have with their providers. And there are uh, contraindications to hormone therapy, for sure. And uh, there's also a patient's preferences. So for the specifically for vaginal pain, there are estrogen vaginal creams that are considered local vaginal therapy that actually have a very low absorption into the bloodstream. And so the treatment of genital urinary syndrome and menopause doesn't necessarily include systemic hormone replacement therapy. You can use local vaginal therapy with estrogen. Also, lubricants are very important, as well as there are some over-the-counter vaginal moisturizers that work well. So how is menopause different for different women? Because some women may have these symptoms and some women may not. Is it hereditary? Is it lifestyle? The top symptoms of menopause and perimenopause are called vasomotor symptoms. And those are hot flashes during the day and sweats at night, okay? And vasomotor symptoms are experienced by by about 80 to 85% of women. Some have it worse in perimenopause, up to 40% of women in perimenopause. Most, it happens in menopause, and that first year of menopause are usually the worst. Vasomotor symptoms can last up to 10 years, so they are the most common symptom of menopause, but there are about 15% of women that don't have any vasomotor symptoms or any symptoms at all. Other very, very common symptoms, we've, we've talked about the, the genital urinary syndrome of menopause, which is vaginal dryness and pain with intercourse. There can also be some uh, brain fog and memory lapse. There can be joint pain. There can be weight gain or distribution in the weight that's different. Uh, A lot of women, their weight settles around the middle. All of these symptoms are related to menopause. And there are some women that have every symptom, and there are some women that have no symptoms. We do know that the timing of menopause can be altered Uh, by some environmental things. We know that smokers tend to have a slightly earlier menopause. We know that women that have had a hysterectomy, even if their ovaries were not removed, tend to have an earlier menopause. And genetically, it it does, uh, it is in our genes when we go through menopause. It it is implanted in us early when we're going to go through menopause. So the age at which your mother or an older sister went through menopause, it can be related to when you go 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 through menopause, but it's not always the same exact age. Mm -hmm. So there are environmental things that are involved as well as genetic. Yeah. One of the things you talked about just now in this was memory. So what about forgetfulness during menopause and why would that happen? How is that related? Yeah, we don't really know the exact mechanisms, but we do know that somehow the loss of estrogen can affect our brain uh, and give us memory loss and brain fog. Many times it's related to sleep deprivation, which is another symptom of menopause. And sleep deprivation, sleep disturbance, sleep disruption is very common. Uh, Many times it's related to the night sweats, but even in somebody that doesn't have any vasomotor symptoms, sleep disruption is very common in menopause. And that can lead to fatigue and memory loss, word word retrieval finding, and uh, finding difficulties and, and brain fog. 
And what do you advise to patients who come to you and say that they're worried about brain fog or memory loss? Well, I have a conversation with them. And obviously, with all my patients, I have a conversation about starting at the top about their uh, their medical history, their family history, their current medications, their symptoms. And then we talk about a solution. And hormone replacement can sometimes alleviate that brain fog. What about foods? Are there certain foods that we should be eating or avoiding during menopause? Yeah. So, you know, I would say my top three recommendations to get through menopause as best as you possibly can would be to eat a nutritious diet, to exercise and use some strength training, resistance training, and to limit alcohol. And I think that those three things will get you through this time period as, as well as you can possibly can. There are thoughts that some foods may trigger vasomotor symptoms. So foods like alcohol, red wine, or caffeine, or spicy foods, or hot drinks, sometimes those are triggers for uh, hot flashes and sweats. So avoiding those can sometimes help. And, and then eating mostly a nutritious food, uh, anti-inflammatory uh, diet is important. Okay. And also exercise is very important. Yes, absolutely. So exercise can help, you know, not only with your bones, um, but it can help with balance. It can help with muscle preservation. So lean mm-hmm. muscle mass is very important to preserve during menopause. Traditionally or historically, there is a loss of muscle as we age, as we women age. So your body composition, lean muscle mass goes down. That's called sarcopenia. And visceral fat and abdominal fat it can increase. Can menopause be delayed or does it just happen when it happens? Um, yeah, I mean, you cannot affect when you're going to go through menopause. So I would say, it, no, it cannot be delayed. It can be induced earlier. For instance, women that have had a hysterectomy, obviously, if their ovaries are removed, or if women have had chemotherapy or radiation even extreme stress can sometimes stop the ovaries from working. And sometimes after chemo, after radiation, sometimes the ovarian function returns. So there are ways that menopause may come earlier in a woman, but there's not any way to delay it. If someone went into menopause early and has been on hormone therapy replacement, or let's say the compounded the creams for years, for decades, is there a risk of staying on that uh, hormone therapy replacement as they get older? Sure. So that, oh, that is a very important question. So the risks of hormone replacement therapy. So in 2002, that study came out. It was, it was the Women's Health Initiative. And I won't go into it too in detail, but I just want to give a general overview because it was a very important study and the way that it was uh, the, the results were broadcast was very impactful for women. So it was a study of 27,000 women, and they had two arms, and half uh, a good part of it, 18,000 women were taking estrogen and progesterone therapy, and the other 10,000 were taking just estrogen therapy. And these were women from age 50 to 79. That's very important. The average age of these women in this study were 63, and they were not screened for any other health um, comorbidities. And what the study showed was that it was, first of all, it was halted early. It was supposed to be a nine-year study and it was halted at, at five years, the estrogen progesterone arm. 
because they noticed a slight increased risk of breast cancer, stroke, and heart attack. So they halted that study early, early, and the estrogen-only arm went on for another few years, but was also halted at about eight years. Since that study in 2002, they've done several follow-up studies and also a reanalysis of the Women's Health Initiative where the ages were uh, separated. And so all of the follow-up studies since then have determined that there may be risks to hormone therapy, but it has to do with when the hormone therapy is initiated. So that's very important. So if the hormone therapy is, is initiated in a candidate that can take hormone therapy, has no contraindications to hormone therapy, if that hormone therapy is initiated within 10 years of their final period and below the age of 60, the feeling is that the risks of taking hormone replacement therapy are low. And uh, it calculates out to be, for instance, breast cancer is about a one in a thousand chance on hormone replacement therapy versus not in a healthy 50 to 59 year old, especially for the first five years of taking hormone therapy. So back in the late 90s, we had patients, and I was practicing then, we had patients that sometimes were started on hormones in their 70s or 80s because we thought estrogen was heart protective, and we're not doing that anymore. We're not recommending doing that anymore. But there is a timing hypothesis now, and the theory is that if you have a patient who doesn't have any contraindications, like a history of breast cancer or strong family history of breast cancer, history of stroke, history of DVT, history of liver disease. So if a patient is a candidate for hormone therapy and would like to go on hormone therapy, then we do talk about the risks being low if it's initiated within 10 years of their final period and if they are younger than age 60. And and if that's the case, could they then, would the risk still be low if they continued it decades later? You know, if they started in their 40s and were still taking it in their 70s? Sure. So the recommendation now is to talk to the patient. The American College of OB-GYN just put out a statement that states that there isn't an age that you need to take a woman off hormone replacement therapy. However, after five years, you need to discuss the risks. After 10 years, the risks need to be discussed. At 60, at age 60, certainly as we all age, we do have an increased risk of other diseases happening like hypertension and diabetes. And so our bodies in general, breast cancer increases as we age. And so the risks may increase after 60 and it has to be an individualized decision with the provider and the patient about how long to stay on hormone replacement therapy. Most women decide to wean off in their 60s, but some women would like to stay on. Let's talk about technology. Are there menopause tracking apps similar to period tracking apps, and how do they help a woman? So I think the most important thing to do is track the bleeding, because that is really, menopause is a clinical diagnosis. So we tell a patient that after 12 months of no bleeding, you're not supposed to bleed anymore. So the bleeding part of tracking is the most important to the providers. During perimenopause, many women can bleed irregularly. And so abnormal uterine bleeding can happen, and that would need to be worked up as abnormal uterine bleeding is to make sure nothing worrisome is going on. So the bleeding patterns uh, 
are the most important, okay? There are blood tests that some providers mm-hmm. order, um, and specifically, you know, thyroid needs to be evaluated when a woman comes in having peri- or postmenopausal symptoms because thyroid disorders are very common during this age period, and they can mimic menopause. And so thyroid levels uh, should be checked. And, you know, most of the guidelines about hormone checking or checking blood tests during this transition state that they're not necessary because this is a clinical diagnosis where we go by the period, length of time since they bled and their symptoms. But there are some providers that order certain tests uh, for for patients. There is a new over-the-counter test for FSH. Overall, uh, the Menopause Society, which used to be called the North American Menopause Society, is now called the Menopause Society. And they're suggesting that this might not be a good thing for patients just because you need to do multiple tests in order to confirm menopause and Mm -hmm. a provider can diagnose you by talking to you about your periods and your symptoms. So those are the tracking apps that I'm aware of. Was there anything else in particular that you were asking about? No, I, I wanted to ask about technology, but I also want to ask what you advise to patients when they come in um, at any age, do you prepare them, you know, when they're going through childbirth or as they're raising their children, do you start to talk about menopause? Should we be educating our women more? We absolutely should be educating our women more. So, you know, menopause has been a taboo kind of an area to discuss. Women, unfortunately, have been dismissed for a lot of menopausal symptoms. In the last 20 years since the Women's Health Initiative, providers have not been trained in menopause uh, as well. There's been fear about, um, from the patient's point of view, about getting breast cancer and going on hormones. There is fear from the provider's point of view about giving a patient cancer. And so for many years, in the last 20 years, uh, the subject has been dismissed and women have been misled. And so absolutely, I try to educate women. It is a very personal choice whether or not to go on hormone replacement therapy or treat uh, their menopause. Their menopause journey is theirs. It's very individualized. There are some women that suffer every single symptom. Their quality of life is miserable. They cannot function. Their relationships are falling apart. They cannot work. And then I have patients that don't really notice a change at all. And so there's this huge variety of symptoms on presentations. And so I do educate. I start women in their 40s and talking about it. There are lots of websites and books. I do uh, refer patients to menopause.org, which is the website for the Menopause Society. And um, on that, there are a lot of patient reference section, menonotes, they call them. And there are a lot of good descriptions about uh, common symptoms and pharmacological and non-pharmacological recommendations for these symptoms. Dan from Mattapoisic Mass was playing paddle tennis when it happened without warning. By the second set, I couldn't play anymore. You know, just started feeling tightness and couldn't shake it and it wouldn't go away. Dan was having a heart attack. Luckily, he had the region's most advanced cardiovascular facility close to home and was taken by EMS to the Heart and Vascular Center at Charlton Memorial in Fall River. 
thing I remember going into the operating room, the doctors and nurses were phenomenal. They walked you through it every step of the way. With 20 years experience, South Coast Health's Heart and Vascular Center of Fall River treats over 2,000 patients a year at one of the most active cath labs of any community hospital in Mass and Rhode Island. To find out more, visit southcoast.org heart. When you have a heart attack and you need open heart surgery, you want the best care. We have such a great hospital system right here in our backyard. It saved my life. South Coast Health, more than medicine. What would you advise for women as we age to stay healthy and vital and vibrant? You know, just in general, because we're going to go through this. So how can we maintain our activity and vitality? Sure. I mean, all of us are going to go through this. This is a natural process. And, you know, I do think I'm a very strong opponent for nutrition and exercise. And so those are the top two things that I would recommend. And strength training in particular, a lot of us in that age of menopause grew up with aerobic activity and not as much with strength training. Strength training is very important to keep your muscles strong, to keep your bones strong for balance purposes, and a very good nutritious diet is very, very important. Dr. Soares, are there any new drugs that are treating menopause? I'm glad you asked. So uh, just this past May, there was the uh, new, brand new, first non-hormonal FDA-approved medication that came out, and it's called Beosa, B-E-O-Z-A-H. And it actually works for patients that are uh, having moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms. That means moderate to severe hot flashes and night sweats that are affecting their quality of life. This medication works at the level of the hypothalamus in the brain. That's thought to be where the thermoregulatory center is. Um, And it acts like estrogen in the brain and binds to the receptors in the hypothalamus. And it decreases hot flashes and night sweats. It decreases by about 60%. Doesn't work as well as estrogen hormone replacement therapy, but it is very exciting because it is a brand new FDA approved agent that can be offered to women, uh, all women, uh, but especially in women that cannot use hormone replacement therapy. Okay, thank you. Dr. Swartz, why did you choose this specialty of obstetrics and gynecology? Sure, so when I was going through third year medical school when we did clinical rotations, I fell in love with OBGYN. So I really felt like I wanted to help women in particular, and I wanted to help them through their entire lifespan. So for the first uh, 10 years of practicing, I I delivered babies, did obstetrics and general OBGYN, um, and then uh, switched to gynecology 10 years in, had a gynecology-only practice. And then Unfortunately, I'm one of the patients that is suffering from this women's health initiative media that went through menopause and had limited access to help with menopause. And so about 10 years ago, I decided to learn about menopause myself. And I went to several different uh, courses and ended with the Menopause Society. And I've been going to yearly meetings for that society and learning more and more and more every year. Thank you. How would you like to close the interview today? What would you like to leave our listeners with? So I am very happy to be talking about menopause. I would love to talk more about menopause. I think it's a very important time in a woman's life. 
And I think that more women need to know that there are options out there. More women need to know that they're not alone, uh, that there are providers that can listen to them and help them and help to guide them. I think women need to know that it's their journey and it's their choice of how to go through that journey. But I do think that women also should not be suffering uh, because I think there has been suffering in the last 20 years uh, with the limited availability of providers and treatment options. I do believe in hormone replacement therapy. I do think it helps a lot of women, but it needs to be done in a safe manner, FDA approved hormone therapy, and it needs to be offered to all women. And that's how I would like to end this interview. Thank you very much. Very enlightening, very interesting, very caring. Thank you so much, Dr. Barbara Soares, for being on the program today and talking about menopause. Thank you for having me. That wraps up this edition of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.